The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder. Now, uh, brothers and sisters, if you'll take your Bibles, we're doing these foundations from Genesis, so let's turn to Genesis. And I want you to go to chapter 1. Chapter 1. We are in a section... Uh, of um, our, we are in a section in this foundations uh, that's the sanctity of gender. Last week, I attempted, uh, hopefully to some degree of effectiveness, I attempted to lay out for you why this is so crucial in this age with this progressive secular movement in the culture and its spear point of the sexual revolution identified as the LGBTQAI plus agenda and the jagged edge in those that alphabet of the T, transgenderism. It really doesn't fit, yet it has come to dominate it in the last uh, year or so. Uh, It has become a foundation for child abuse in the surgical mutilation of minors. It has become the foundation for chemical um, uh, chemical destruction uh, as um, various chemicals are used to deny the progress and the created realities of puberty through the process of adolescence. It has, uh, there has been an extortion of what can be anticipated in some cases, usually around three to five percent of adolescents uh, will sometime to some degree deal with what has been called gender dysphoria. What does it mean to be a male and a female and what about stereotypes and all of that? And um, But yet now, because of the extolling of transgenderism, the notion that, uh, that there's a me inside of me that is in opposition to what the God who made me to be is, that now bodies have become almost canvases for manipulation with uh, horrendous surgeries that are irreplaceable, that, I mean, that are irreversible, and the consequences not only physically but emotionally. And that's why this thing of gender is so important. I do not think we grasp it, and I don't think we grasp it in the evangelical world, the Reformed world. I don't think we grasp it at Briarwood. Uh, we haven't grasped the fact that the gender dysphoria that we know and have dealt with by counseling, most of which, 98, that 3 to 5 percent that deal with gender dysphoria in adolescence, 98 percent of them, it's handled in the process of adolescence. But those that need counseling, that's what we've given them. And then those who have not been able to address it, but then begin to go into the mental disorder of, uh, of, trans, of transgender uh, confusion, uh, we would extend counseling to as they move out of adolescence. But not today. Today it's promoted. Today it's a badge and an opportunity for significance in society. Thus, 
the cases have now risen to 600% more than they were 20 years ago. 600% more that are, um, that are affirming some sense of, of uh, gender dysphoria and beyond that, gender rejection. And so that's where we are in that particular jagged edge of the alphabet. For some reason, I don't think, uh, for some reason, I don't think we sense the crucial nature of this. And, um, of course, I know it's Super Bowl night, but, um, I think this, I'm uh, so glad to be with all of you, but I think there's probably about 3,000 others that ought to be here, not because of me, but because of the importance of this subject, uh, in this society and how to handle this in terms of our children. I think this is a crucial thing. Uh, and I think it is something that we need to prepare ourselves for. So what I've done uh, in, uh, in trying to r- work my way through this, what I've done is I have taken on this, the sanctities that make up a Christian world and life view from the book of Genesis, these foundations of the faith. We've looked at divine revelation, the sanctity of divine revelation, the sanctity of creation, the sanctity of life, uh, the sanctity of man. And uh, the sanctity, and um, and now we are looking, and we're going to look at the sanctity of the Sabbath, the sanctity of work. Uh, there's a number of them: uh, the sanctity of marriage, the sanctity of biblical sexuality. We're going to look at all of those things. But I'm honestly just camping here. This is this is just an evidence of what I tried to communicate this morning. That I believe the pulpit ministry is the initiating of discipling a people, and that it works. It's a, it's a cascading effect through communities and small groups, but it has to be initiated and I've, from the exposition of the scriptures on these matters. And so that's why I'm spending a little time here, and I want to try to communicate to you what I'm attempting to do in this process. And honestly, I don't know how, how many sermons, Pastor, I just can't tell you. And I think you'll understand why. But tonight, I want us to go back and take a look at some key passages of Scripture in order to understand gender and the sanctity of God making man male and female, masculinity and femininity in terms of creation, masculinity and femininity. Then we're going to take a step to look at the fall and its impact upon masculinity and femininity. Then we're going to step to redemption and its impact to restore biblical masculinity and femininity in God's common grace. And then Christian manhood and Christian womanhood in God's redeeming grace. You get the flow there of what I'm trying to say? So, um, and now when we get there, this is where I don't know, because I'm going to take a look at what does it mean as a Christian man or a Christian woman to be single? What does it mean in a marriage to be a Christian man? And what's, what does it mean to be a Christian husband as a man of God? What does it mean to be a Christian woman, a Christian wife as a woman of God? 
What does it mean to be a Christian father as a man of God? What does it mean to be a Christian mother as a man of God? And what does it mean to be a Christian in the public square, in the world? What does that mean? So I've provided this little slide to guide us through here. And so here you see it, gender, male and female, as we work through creation, fall and redemption. And creation, what is creation, masculinity and femininity? What is the fall? What does it bring? What we might call toxic masculinity and femininity, toxic by nature of sin. Now, let me take a minute here. I think this is the place I need to say this. One of the things that's being do, done to attack masculinity is, um, is the claim of toxic masculinity. Harry, do you believe that there's something called toxic masculinity? Absolutely. I think sin has cursed our understanding of masculinity and femininity. But here's what I don't believe. The current, the current sexual revolution isn't saying that there's a toxic masculinity. It's saying masculinity is toxic. That's what it's saying. And, um, and I not only reject that, I actually think the need is biblical masculinity. That's the great need today. That's the extraordinary need today. And we need biblical femininity instead of toxic femininity that attacks masculinity. And so how is it that we can address that? From God's word. Then that would bring us to redemption. What's our only hope? Our only hope is what Christ does by grace. And thankfully, God's work of grace through Christ has a strand of grace that is common grace. It No one gets saved by it, but it restrains and retards sin. And by salt and light, it begins to make certain things in embraced in a culture because of the impact of biblical Christianity. Then there is from from redemption the strain of redemptive grace, and redemptive grace is what brings the propulsion of common grace into culture, and that's when men and women understand Christian manhood and womanhood. How am I a Christian man or a woman in singleness? How am I a Christian man or woman in marriage? How am I a Christian man and woman in my family? How am I a Christian man or woman in the world? In society. So that's what we're going to walk our way through. So if you got your Bibles, let's start with this notion biblically from the word of God. What does it mean that we are, what is masculine and feminine? What's the profile for us? So if you've got your Bibles, look with me in a very familiar text. You're going to be familiar with all of these, but we're looking at it and turning the diamond to a different facet from what we've looked previously when we've been there. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. There's a binary. The earth was without form and void. There's a binary. And the darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, now I'm not going to go through the creation week, but the creation week is the creation by the hand of God after the ex nihilo creation of bringing everything into existence, 
comes the act of creation from what he has made, space, time, and matter. And as he creates, the binary continues. There is the earth, the land, and the sea. There is the light and the darkness. There is time and again the binary that exists. Until the act of creation, there was no binary. There was only God. And the first binary is when God, the creator, made the creation for his glory and to reflect his glory. Then from that creator-creation dynamic comes all of the binaries. And and each one that is made is said to be good. Then he gets to the concluding binary in which the vice-regent of the creation that's made in his image is established. And that is man, made in the image of God, established as God's vice-regent. And how is man made? Two genders, binary, male and female. So go with me to that that significant passage. You're familiar with it in Genesis chapter 1. And look down with me in verse, 20, uh, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Isn't it wonderful that God's word gives you <laughs> the opportunity to eavesdrop on the divine conversation of the Trinity. There's the conversation. So let me ask you a question. Why does man exist, male and female? It's not the Supreme Court's idea. It's not convention's idea. It's not a cultural idea. It is God's declaration. It is God's decree. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them. Now we find out that man is going to be binary. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. See, they're going to be our vice regents. We're putting them in charge. The Trinity, our one God who subsists in three persons, is putting man that is being made, male and female, in a vice regency. Dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So... Man is made to lead with delegated authority from God over everything that he has created. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Notice the singular. Man in his own image created him. How? Male and female. So clearly the genders are equal, but clearly the genders are different. They're clearly equal, but equality is not interchangeability. They are different. And God blessed them. And God said to them, propagate, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. 
and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. So three commands. Man was made, male and female, to have dominion over the creation, to subdue the creation, and to be fruitful and multiply and fill up the creation with other image bearers of God. And then God said, he had given them the fruit, etc., etc. And then look down at verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Now let's, let's, let's turn the microscope down to the, now to the focus upon the creation of male and female upon the sixth day. So man is now um, in the garden. And and the garden that has been made as his home upon the heavens and the earth. And now he has begun to tend it. He has begun to defend it. He has begun to name the animals. He is subduing the earth. He is having, uh, he is having dominion by exercise by naming the animals. And then, um, and then, uh, and then comes the prohibition, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you trespass my law, it will result in death. Now look at the next verse. verse and now look at the verse uh, 18. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. In other words, it's not good, not because he's lacking anything psychologically and emotionally and relationally, but because he has been made relationally, he has been made functionally to do what, what I've commanded him to do with another. And he doesn't make another male. Nor does he eradicate Adam and make two females. He makes a reflection of Adam. And that becomes Isha woman, the female. Then the Lord said, it's not good that the man, I'll make a helper suitable. Who will this one of equality as a standard bearer, a co-regent in unity, governing the earth and filling the earth and necessary to be able to govern and have dominion and subdue the earth and fill it? Who is it? Well, it is this one will be called woman. Now, out of the ground, uh, the Lord God formed the beast of the field and every bird of the heavens brought them to the man to see what he would call them, name them. That means authority and define. And the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found that completer helper to accomplish his dominion, his regency, his call, his command to subdue the earth, to have dominion over the creation and to fill the earth. Not one fit that definition as he named them. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up in its flesh, closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into the woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, what does he actually do? He names her, thereby declaring his authoritative responsibility. And then he defines her. And this one, dare I say, fits the bill. This is the one that is the helper completer to be the vice regent 
of the divine over the creation. Here is the blessed binary to oversee the creation of binary. And who is the representative of the creator who is apart from his creation and to rule over that creation on behalf of to have dominion over it, to fill it and to subdue it, to order it and to give direction to it. And the, and so this is now last bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called Isha because she was taken out of Ish. And so now in creation, we see the male and the female. Now, what do we see? Well, what is creation, masculinity and femininity? I wish I could tell you there's all kind of helps out there. There are some people that have written on it from various aspects and degrees, but I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you what I believe biblical, uh, creation, masculinity and femininity is. This is all prior to the fall. Okay? Uh, we don't have toxic masculinity and toxic femininity. This is prior to the fall. It's been blessed and declared as good. To do so, I'm going to make two comments to you. One you've heard me say, and the other one I want you now to hear me say, that have influenced me in trying to identify creation, masculinity, and femininity. And here is the first thing, is that the way God makes us is an indicator of what God calls us to do. So God is calling Adam to subdue what? The earth. Calling Adam to do what? Have authority over all the creation that fills the earth. Calls Adam to do what? Multiply other image bearers of God to fill the earth. So where is Adam? What's Adam made from? The earth. The dust of the ground. That's what he's made from. Now, it's not good for him to be alone to get this task. He needs a helper completer. So he now, where does God reach to create the helper completer? Where does he reach to obtain what he will use to make the woman who will uh, complete the man so that together... As vice regents of God, they can do what God has called them to. Well, he takes her from the side of the man. Not, as we say, not from the head, she's not over him. Not from the feet, she's not under him. From the side, she comes alongside of him. Can I just stop here? I just can't help but do it. I always think about Jesus when I'm going through this. So who is the second Adam? They're sitting hard. You are the people that are not watching the Super Bowl. You've got this. You've got this. Who is the second Adam? You know, let me just say something. There is a wonderful Puritan pastor that I read that I love. His name is Thomas Watson. Do you know what his habit was? His habit was on Sunday night, he would look around to see who was at church and who wasn't. And when it was over in his study, he had a he had a he had a uh, overcoat, he had a hat, and he had a pair of glasses that he didn't normally wear. And um, some say that he even resorted to an uh, 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 another beard than what he normally uh, had. 
And he would leave Sunday night service and go to the pubs to see who was sitting there that wasn't sitting in the, um, uh, in the, uh, so he would go, he would sit down beside them, order a pint, and then look at them and take his hat and his glasses off and say, Hi, I've come to visit my flock tonight. I thought I might see you at church, but I thought I'd find you here also. That's, those were interesting moments when he would do that. So I, I would, did have a couple of thoughts of what I might do tonight, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go home and eat some popcorn. So, uh, but, but anyway, so there is this. So you're here. I know you're here. You're committed. You got this. So who is the second Adam? Jesus. Who is his bride? Where did she come from? His side. The blood of Christ purchased his bride. And the spear went in, and the blood flowed. And what are we? Joint heirs with Christ. What was Eve? A joint regent with Adam at creation. So here is this act of creation, and the act of creation gives us insights into the purpose of the creation. Of Adam and Eve. Now here's the second thing. I said that last week. So I didn't want to leave many more time with it. But this week I want to add something to it. Here's what you remember. Function determines form. Function determines form. Form either is an asset to function. Or it is a hindrance. So Cindy and I, when we were in Charlotte, God allowed us to have a wonderful piece of property where we could build a house. And Cindy and I sat down and said, okay, what do, what do we believe a house should do for me and you as a husband and wife? We talked about that. And then secondly, we talked about, um, secondly, we talked about what does our family need? We have three children. And then we said, okay, what about the ministry? And here are five things that we want our house to be available to do in ministry. All right, now we're ready to draw the plans. The form followed the function. You see, the creation was what? Unformed and unfilled. So what does God do? He forms it to accomplish what he is going to fill it to do. And so when you look at his creation, he has made Adam and Eve for a purpose. Subdue the earth. Rule over it as, as joint vice regents. Here is Adam, what I made him to do from the dust of the ground. Eve, this is what I made you to do. You're equal, but you're different. He didn't make Adam and Steve. He made Adam and Eve. Ish, Isha. And the function, I mean, and the form and the function are related. So to understand masculinity and femininity, we not only look at how they were created, but what they were created to do as male and female. 
So this is the way I have tried to sum it up, and so let me give it to you in the following ways. That creation masculinity for the male, creation masculinity is the man was made to love and lead. He was made to love and lead. That is creation masculinity. He is to love the Lord. He is to love all that the Lord has made, and he is to love all all that the Lord has given him to do. He is called to embrace that with love to the one who has made him for the intimate personal relationship with God. God made Adam to love. That's why he would come to be with him in the garden. And Adam, in love to the Lord, would make, would love all that the Lord has made and he would embrace the binaries. He would not rebel against them. He would love them, preserve them, and nurture them. So what does it mean as a man, masculine, to love and lead prior to the fall? It means the man was made to propagate, The man was made to provide, and the man was made to protect. Now, I know if you're you're a thinker, and I know you are, you're saying, well, wait, wait, there's no sin. What's he going to protect from? Well, he's going to protect, and God knows he he needs to be there to protect because there is going to be a fall before the fall, and it's the fall of Satan, who will come after this good creation. And will come after the creation by going after the one that was the one that was made male and female to govern it. So he is called to he is called to love and to lead. That see the language, subdue the earth. See the language, have dominion, have authority, to give loving leadership. To lead with love and to lovingly lead. And you're supposed to fill it up, propagation. You are supposed to subdue the earth and cultivate it, to tend it and to defend it. That is to provide and to protect. And that's what he's called to do. What about the woman when she is made? Her, she is called to love and complete. Loving leadership for masculinity, loving completership. I just made that word up, but feel free to use it if you want to. Loving completership. We use the word complementarian. Not, she is not conquered by him. She doesn't conquer him. She's not in competition with him. She is a complementarian reflection of him. And she also loves the Lord and loves, uh, and loves what the Lord has given and is called to love her husband even as he is called to love and lead her. And she is called to love and complete him so that together they would be able to do what God has called them to do, to do, subdue the earth, have dominion, and be fruitful and multiply and not together do not Eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they did, and that's the fall. So what about toxic masculinity 
and femininity because of the curse of sin. Well, take your Bibles and go with me to Genesis 3. I'm about to preach this to you, and I can promise you it's going to go on Sermon Audio. It's going to go on the website, and I am going to be challenged on this. I've been challenged before, but I am confident in uh, the biblical exegesis of what I'm about to give to you, and I want to share it with you uh, now. And so if you would look with me in Genesis chapter 3 and what we call the and what we identify as the fall. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. So clearly there's been a fall in the creation from the angelic host and and one of those is now called uh Satan the adversary uh, is now called the devil, is now called the great serpent eventually as his initial invasion of God's creation was through the disguise of a serpent. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? So what does he question? The word of God. You see, folks, uh, here is, here is what really we're coming down to. I want to tell you, as a pastor, as a father, as a husband, I am unabashedly committed to trying to produce Christian men who understand Christian manhood. I do believe there's toxic masculinity, but the answer is to produce biblical masculinity that knows how to be guided by the Spirit of God and the Word of God to Christian manhood in every relationship and responsibility of life. And I believe that another great need is biblical femininity that's seen in Christian womanhood. So that no longer does the woman stand stand in opposition to manhood in rebellion against God. And manhood no longer brings a toxic response to femininity uh, because of his sin nature as well. So I am I am push, I am giving my life for this this part of the ministry. Now my life is given for the great commission. But in making disciples, I believe in the whole counsel of God, we have got to address creation, the creation masculinity and femininity. How did God make us? What did sin do to bring toxic masculinity and femininity? And what does the gospel do to bring the remedy of grace? common grace and redeeming grace to bring Christian manhood and Christian womanhood. And that's, I'm, I, I'm, I unabashedly tell you I am committed to that. And I'm thankful for the one you here who are um, embracing it and, and um, embracing it to move forward as we attempt to engage in understanding these three, these three aspects. Now, to understand the effect of the fall, I believe we need to go to three texts. Number one is the first one, the most, I, I agree with Johnny Gibson on this, uh, Dr. Johnny Gibson, let me be respectful, Dr. Johnny Gibson, I agree with him uh, that, in fact, I believe the most hated verse in the Bible from Satan all the way, uh, all the way throughout humanity is Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created by fiat, the heavens and the earth, and all that's in it. I believe that's the most hated verse. That's why Satan comes and says, has God said. He wants to attack the inerrancy, the sufficiency, 
and the veracity and the reliability of the Word of God. And because of that, you find in Genesis 3, this is what happens. Did God actually say, is this God's word? You shall not eat of any tree in the garden, the woman said to the serpent. We may eat of the tree, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Well, she's got the jest, but she's misquoted. You can see her fixation is not on God's word, but on the tree. Because she has added to what God has said. We've got two problems in relationship to God's word. Adding and subtracting, which is why Jesus said, Cursed is the one who adds or subtracts to the word of God. And so here, uh, then, then, um, and then she says, but the, uh, then she is, um, the con- conversation continues, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. They will be opened. But here he brings the deceptive promise, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. uh, By the way, you see the three snares of Satan there, the lust of the flesh. It was desirable to to eat. It was the lust of the eyes. It It was beautiful to the eyes. And then the boastful pride of life. It would make me to be God. And that's really what she's saying. She's already like God. What she's really hearing is you can be God. You can know what God knows. You can be God. And so the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that is the lust of the flesh, uh, and that it was a delight to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, that is she can know what God knows. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was And everybody has tried to explain this away from me, and they have not been able to do it exegetically or theoretically or esoterically. Adam's there. He was with her. And the with her is in the present dynamic and narrative that we're reading. And then she led him, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And now works salvation has begun to cover guilt and shame. Yeah, that won't work, so they'll hide in the trees. That won't work, and so then they'll hide from God. And then we finally have God speaking, the first recorded speaking of God in his creation. Go down with me, if you would, uh, to verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? God has spoken. There's (laughs) you talking about a pregnant question. Boy, that one has multiple implications, doesn't it? And the least of them is where you're hiding. (laughs) You're playing hide and seek and I can't find you. Oh, he knows where they are. He's speaking to their hearts. Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? 
Have you, have you eaten of the tree of, the, of, the, of which I commanded you not to eat? And the, woman, and the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you've done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So here the Lord comes. He makes his inquiry. They hide from him. Uh, so they've tried loincloths. They've tried... Um, uh, sewed leaves as loincloths, or the new, the Geneva Bible said breeches, uh, and um, and then uh, they couldn't use the word. They didn't want to use the word loin, even though it was the right word to translate. So they used the word breeches, and so they made breeches, but that didn't work. So then they tried the trees, and that didn't work. Now, how do you know it didn't work, Harry? Because look what they said: we hid from you because we were naked. Now you weren't naked. You had loin claws or breeches. You had trees. You were you were all covered up. But here's stuff: our works don't cover up sin's guilt and shame. Does not handle it. So now, God finds them and he addresses the issue. What have you done? And so what does Adam answer? Well, Lord, I sinned against you. No, he says, um, the woman whom you gave me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. Actually, there's no such thing as sin. God is just a syndrome. And the syndrome is dysfunctionality. And so I've got a dysfunctional wife. That's why we're in this situation. We're going to blame her. And uh, by the way, God, we're going to blame you because the only reason I got her is you. You gave me her. She gave me the fruit. And I ate. I'm a victim. I'm a victim. There's no confession of sin. None whatsoever. No acknowledgement of him being there while the deception took place. And he having been first created for that purpose to care for her, and yet he abandoned it. He could have said at any time, whoa, 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 time out, Eve, you just misquoted God. Time out. Whoa, whoa, time out. I just named all the animals and defined them. I didn't find any talking snakes. Something's wrong here. They're not made in the image of God with the ability to, to communicate. Or he could have said, whoa, Eve, no. And he could have said to God, I ate. And so did the woman. But take me in her place. Instead of throwing her under the proverbial bus of God's judgment. Take me. There'll be a second Adam who will say that for his bride. Take me, not her. And so you see the entrance of sin and we begin to see the toxic masculinity and femininity, but not yet fully. Go down further with me. And we're going to come back to this when we get to the sanctity of marriage. So please uh, remember that. But come down with me to Genesis chapter 3. And uh, just go a little further. So here is the curse of the serpent. 
So <clears throat> the curse in the animal world and the curse upon the land and the curse upon the serpent and, of course, directing that to Satan himself. Because you've done this, cursed are you above all the livestock, over all the beasts of the field, on your belly you should go, dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman. That continues today. Who's the woman today? We are. The bride of Christ. And he has enmity. Now, our enemy has been defeated, but he hadn't been destroyed, so he still has that enmity. He is still seeking to devour the woman and to devour the seed. That's what he is still seeking to do. He can't get at God, but he can get at God's, he can get at God's creation and he can get at God's people. And so you will have, uh, you'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. We are the offspring of the redemptive woman that God has appointed, his church. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. So there's coming, the woman is going to have a seed. I believe the ESV has missed this translation. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your, they translated offspring with the footnote. I'm, I would say change the footnote, put offspring at the bottom and put there what needs to be there for the flow of redemptive history between your seed and her seed. And he, that's her seed, shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. And of course, there is the first communication of the gospel. Here is a woman that God has appointed who will have a seed. There you see the anticipation of the virgin birth. Women don't have seed. But miraculously, there will be a woman who has seed. And her seed shall go to war with Satan, the great serpent. And it shall be a true battle, as this one is not only the Son of God, having come in the flesh, but the Son of Man. He will be bruised and battered, his heel. But he will deliver the bruise Upon the head. Now, which is lethal? The bruise of the heel or the bruise upon the head? Ser serpent is crushed and defeated at the cross. And now the head is being fully crushed by Christ's church, as so described in the book of Romans. And so that here is your first gospel message, the proto-gospel that's been given to us, and even the affirmation of what will become a prophecy of the virgin birth. Then to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbearing, in pain you shall bring forth children. Your, now please underline this, your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now the curse of sin falls upon the man and the woman. Adam and Eve, and all that they represent. What does he say to the woman? Your desire shall be for your husband. Now, men, you read that and you say, hey, 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 sounds pretty good to me. Nah, you got to go exegete the word desire. This word in the Hebrew is only used three times in the Old Testament. It's used here, it's used in the Song of Solomon, and it is also used in Genesis chapter 4. Take your Bibles and go to Genesis chapter 4 with me.
And in Genesis chapter 4, well, as you see, I'm not going to make it all the way through the list here. So we're just about, I'll just finish up with this. And so you get to Genesis chapter 4 and look down at the sin of Cain. He had brought a, he had brought inadequate worship that God did not receive while Abel's worship had been received. That's another whole subject, but I'm not going to, uh, to go into that. But what does God say when the depression of sin hits Cain? So here's what it says. Cain would look at down at verse uh, five, but for Cain and his offering, God had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will not you, will you not be accepted? In other words, your worship was not accepted. You were not accepted. Now listen, if you do well, won't you be accepted? And if you don't do well, what happens? And if you do not do well, sin. See the lion picture. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, or his desire is to devour you. That would be a better translation. Its desire is to devour you, but you must rule over it. You see the word devour is the picture of a lion crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. Now, when a lion crouches at the door to get the one coming out, what do we call that lion? He is a what? A predator. And what is the one coming out the door? Prey. The predator is crouching for one thing. Its appetite is for you. That's the understanding of the word desire. Men, sorry. It does not mean that the woman untouched by grace has this unbelievable desire for you. On the contrary. The fallen femininity's desire is to devour the man and his masculinity. That's the internal desire of the lost in their femininity, toxic femininity. And what is the desire of Adam? Look at his response in the curse of sin. What's his response? He shall what? Rule. Go back to Genesis 3. He shall do what? He shall rule over you. Now, that does not mean loving leadership. The word rule is a Hebrew noun that's been turned into a verb. The noun is tyrant. He will tyrannize you. So how do men in toxic masculinity tyrannize women? Two ways. Either ignore and isolate or intimidate and um, uh, and decimate. That's what men do in response. There is toxic masculinity and toxic femininity in its war against God and each other. 
I can't help but just make this. Now do you see why Christian marriages focus upon men laying down their lives for their wives instead of tyrannizing? And women respecting and submitting instead of, instead of attempting to conquer and eradicate them and emasculate them? You say, well, Harry, that's not me. I, I, want, I want my husband to be a man. Well, then thank God because he gave you that desire. That would not have been the natural desire. And, Pastor, I, the last thing I want to do is tyrannize my wife. Then go thank God because he's the one that gave you a change from the sin nature that would have reigned within you. Well, Pastor, I meet a lot of people that aren't Christians that don't do this. Then thank God for common grace that restrains them. That's what we have in front of us in toxic masculinity and toxic femininity. Well, forgive me, I didn't time myself properly, but I don't really know what I would have left out. I just thought I'd get more in. So um, can you all put this on pause? I wished I had a closing illustration. I actually have a closing illustration. I just didn't get to the close. So come back for the close and the closing illustration because now we're going to see what God's answer to this is. And God's, uh, but we haven't finished with the fall. We've now looked at mascul- toxic masculinity and toxic femininity, but we've also with the fall got to understand something else. Toxic humanity. So next week when you come back, we're going to pick up right here, but we're going to Romans 1, which declares that man, unaffected by grace, is in an all-out war against every binary that God has created because of the war against the binary of the creator and the creation. So that's where we'll end up next week. Well, thank you for your patience. I'm three minutes over. Let me close in prayer. Father, thank you for the privilege to be with my brothers and sisters and to do the dive into this. Um, Lord, I love preaching, but I also like thank you for the privilege of teaching uh, with some preaching thrown in. Thank you that we could do that tonight and continue in this series. Uh, Father, would you awaken your people with your word to the glories of Christ's solution to uh, to the toxic masculinity and femininity of sin with the glorious redemptive work of Christ by grace to bring biblical masculinity and femininity that will be displayed in Christian manhood and womanhood in lives, marriages, families, and throughout the world. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reader. Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.